So my name is DJ. I'm not one of the pastors here, but uh, every once in a while, Chris comes to me and says, hey, we'd like you to speak because I'm going out of town, and uh, there's going to be a bunch of people here, and we need you to bring the word. So uh, I did this a couple months ago back in July. I actually preached six days after my daughter was born, and uh, after that, I went to Chris. I said, okay, Chris, I'm, I'm throwing it in. I'm retiring, and he laughed and said, I have you on the schedule for November 20th, so... My retirement lasted as long as Tom Brady's, so here I am. Um, so I'm not a pastor. I work as a salesman. I work for Don's Appliances, which is where Yinzers go to buy appliances. Um, and it's funny working in the appliance industry because you meet all kinds of interesting people. And this, a couple months ago, this woman came into the store, and I stood up and I greeted her, and I said, hey, what brings you in today? And she goes, my dryer is no good. I'm like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. Um, what do you mean by that? What, do, what, what, is that? what does that mean? And she laughed so hard. I mean, like a witch's cackle came out of her. And she said, it doesn't dry my clothes. And then <laughs> bent over in laughter. I mean, she thought that that was hilarious. So I, I could tell that she liked to laugh. So <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to keep going as far as this is going to go. So I said, well, you need a new dryer. I can help you with that. She goes, well, I want one that's, that's, that's good. And I said, oh, I got one that's good. She goes, well, I don't want one that's real fancy and has a bunch of settings. And I said, well, this one only has one setting. And she goes, well, it's got to be able to fit into my space. And I said, you can put it wherever you want. She goes, but doesn't it have to be close to my outlet because I have an electric dryer. I can't get a gas dryer. I said, no, it's not electric. It's not gas. It's uh, solar powered. She's like, solar powered? That sounds like it's pretty fancy and pretty expensive. And I said, no, I'll sell this thing to you for $5. And she goes, is it going to last? Because I really want, you know, they just don't build dryers like they used to. I'm like, oh, this one's built like it used to be. So, Sierra, if, if you could zoom in, I think we can have a live feed to uh, her dryer. So we're actually running a special at Don's Appliances. Uh, <laughs> The solar power dryer, you can get it for $5, or the special is three for 15, okay, three for 15. My dryer is no good. Uh, it's funny because that's the simplicity of what it means to be good. Uh, I used to be a teacher, I taught at a classical school in North Carolina, and at the classical school, we sit on the pillars of truth, goodness, and beauty, and that's something that we went over over and over and over again with the students, truth, goodness, and beauty. We didn't just say the terms, but we actually defined the terms for them. So when we say something is good, what that means is that it fulfills its purpose. So something or someone is good when it fulfills its purpose. A fish outside of water is no good because a fish was designed to swim. A dryer that doesn't dry your clothes is no good because it was created to dry your clothes. It's in the name dryer. But it, when, you're, when you're talking about goodness, goodness is tied with obedience. Goodness is tied with obedience because everything and everyone was given a purpose. And in order to be good, you have to fulfill that purpose. It's obedience. And we would say that something is good when it fulfills or accomplishes its purpose. And when you witness something fulfill its purpose, you are witnessing beauty. Because that is what beauty is. 
Um, I've, I have a four and a half month at home, and uh, Brittany and I, we try to step away once a month. We try to step away and, you know, go on a date day. And in the month of October, we went to McConnell's Mill. And the leaves were all beautiful, and they were changing, and we watched as they fell into the, into the stream. And Brittany looked at me, and she goes, it's sad when the leaves change colors and fall off the branches, because that means they're, that the trees are dying. I was like, no, no, no. It's not sad. It's beautiful. And she goes, yes, it's beautiful. And I said, yes, it is, because leaves were designed to change color and fall off the trees in autumn. They're fulfilling their purpose, and that's a beautiful thing. And when you, look at the, when you look at the trees, it is beautiful. It's visually appealing. I mean, people spend a lot of money to go to Vermont and fall just so they can look at the beautiful trees. But not everything that is beautiful is visually appealing. Some people think that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That is, that's not true. Beauty, like truth and goodness, is absolute. It is not relative. But sometimes beauty is not visually appealing. In our first year of marriage, Brittany and I, we lived in this small house in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, it must have been 9 o'clock at night, and I'm sitting on the couch, I'm doing work for the next day, and Brittany comes running in, and she goes, there is something hideous and disgusting outside, and you have to dispose of it immediately. I'm like, what? So I get out, and I go outside, and... There in the corner of my house, right above my grill on my back deck, is a gigantic spider web with a quarter-sized spider in the center. Trigger warning to any of you who don't like spiders. There it is. That's the actual web that she told me that I needed to dispose of. And guys, I'm Ron Weasley when it comes to spiders. Okay, I don't like spiders either. But I came outside and I looked at it and I was like, whoa. I mean, that's pretty gigantic. It was pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty cool to see that. And I told her, I said, I want you to come outside. She goes, no, I don't want to touch it. I'm like, you don't have to touch it. I said, I just want you to look at it with an open mind. She's like, I am looking at it and I want it gone. And I said, no, I want you to look at it because what you see is hideous is actually beautiful. She goes, how is this beautiful? She's like, you and your classical philosophy. And I said, no, just listen. Just listen. I said, what is a spider's purpose. She goes, to be ugly. I said, no. <laughs> what is a spider's purpose? And she goes, to build webs. And I said, and what is in front of us? She goes, a web. And I said, and isn't that an amazing web? I mean, that's, that's a masterpiece of art by that spider. I said, I mean, it's, out of, it's tucked out of the way. It's not in our face. It's, it's up and out of the way. And she goes, okay. Okay, you got me. And it's actually funny because that was, what, four years ago? And every summer we have a spider that builds a web somewhere around our house, and now it's beautiful to her. So, good lesson. But, but the question is, why does a spider build a web? Now, your first thought is, well, they build a web because building webs catch food. And you are correct. Secondarily... The spider builds a web to catch food. But a spider does not know that its web is going to catch food. There's no spider mom or spider dad that taught it to build a web the first time. It doesn't know that. The spider builds a web first and foremost out of obedience because it was created to build webs. 
The orb weaver was designed to weave, and that's what he does. And that is what he does. I am going to put song lyrics on the screen. Now, if you were to ask me, this is a song by Hillsong. I think lyrically this is the best song ever written. Okay? I am going to sing this verse to you. But I, if you know the song, can you please join in? Do not leave me up here to dry, okay? The clothesline joke is not over. Um, so here it goes. It goes, and as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say, every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. Thank you. If creation still obeys you, so will I. Creation doesn't have the choice. The spider builds a web because that's what it was created to do. Leaves change color and fall off the branches in autumn. Salmon swim upstream and bees pollinate because they don't have the choice to be obedient, but you do. And so do I. Go to the next slide, Sierra. But we're here, we're talking generosity today. Um, the last couple weeks we talked about generosity and the aspect of time and of treasure. Today we're talking about talent. We go back, we look at generosity defined as the willful and joyful sharing of the abundance of himself with his creation. That's what Jesus does, or that's the generosity of God. Um, and some of you have learned, okay, I show up on Sunday, that's my time. I throw $5 in the basket, that's my treasure. What more do you want me to give? It's like, well, God has given everything, and he's asking you to be obedient by being generous with your talent as well. Because it's easy to show up, it's easy to throw a couple coins in the basket, but what's not easy is to serve in the way that you are called to serve. Some of you do this all the time, and God bless you for doing that. But some of us struggle to be generous with our talent, and that's what we're going to learn about today. Uh, because like the spider, everybody is given a purpose. You are given a purpose as well. You and I are actually given the same purpose. And I'm going to share the purpose with you today. Some people are like, what's the meaning of life? Here it is. <laughs> Our purpose is to love and to be loved. Our purpose is also to know God and to make him known. And lastly, our purpose is to glorify him while advancing his kingdom. That's, that's our purpose. And all of us have the same exact purpose, to love and to be loved. But then you ask yourself, okay, advance his kingdom. Well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God can be defined as life under Jesus' rule, Jesus as the king, or under his ruling. The Bible's, Jesus says in the Bible, why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? The kingdom of God is life under Jesus' rule. Let's dive into what the kingdom of God is like, because Jesus explains what the kingdom of God is like in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. It says, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, 
is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to the one, he gave five talents. Now, it says talents, but it can also mean uh, a sum of money. To one, he gave him five talents, and to another, he gave two, and yet another, he gave one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately, he went on a journey. Good, next slide. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two talents gained two more also. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents, and look, I've gained five more talents for you. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, you, uh, you were faithful over a few things, now I will make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, and look, I have gained two more talents for you beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. But, but look, here, you can have back what is yours. And his Lord answered and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have at least received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to whom has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given, and he who has an abundance. But from who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the word of the Lord. We're all given the same purpose. All given the same purpose. Let me catch up to myself here. As seen in the servants in this passage, our task is to take whatever God has given us and to leverage it to advance his kingdom to glorify him. doesn't matter what the talent was or how many talents were given. We all have the same purpose. We are to leverage those talents to advance his kingdom. God provides us all the same purpose, but not all the same talent, not all the same skill. We can see that. It's, I mean, it manifests itself every day. You see it in the parable. And because there's such a diversity of skill and such a diversity of talent, it can be very disheartening and discouraging to people. Because our flesh convinces us that there are some talents out there that are meaningful and that others are not. 
And we can be discouraged into thinking that we don't have talent at all or it can't be leveraged for God's glory. It's discouraging when you look at somebody that is high caliber athlete that plays at the highest level and says, well, I can't compete with that. I'm no good. I can't do anything. It's discouraging. But we all are given the same purpose, not all given the same talent. And it's our ignorance that leads to our disobedience. We disobey God in being generous with our talent in two ways. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're disobedient in being generous with our talent in two ways. We'll dive into the first way. The first way is where our ignorance leads to disobedience because we fail to recognize that we have talent and therefore our little or no talent, it can't be put to use at all. We can't use it to glorify God. The third servant saw a guy ahead of him get five times more talent than he did. And then he saw the second servant get twice the talent that he was given. And he shakes his head, he lowers himself in shame and says, I can't, I got nothing. And because I have nothing, I'm just going to, I'm just going to dig a hole and I'm just going to deposit my little that I was given in the mud. And he does nothing. He does nothing but bury his talent in the dirt. But in Romans 12, we pick up Romans 12, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. In the first part of Romans, it says, don't conform to the world. The world tells you that some talents are more important than others, but it's not for the world to decide, it's for God to decide. And it says in Romans that we were all individually given a talent or a skill based off of the grace that he gave us as individuals. And he says, if we have talents, then use them. He didn't say, if you have five talents, use them, or if you have two talents, use them. He says, whatever is given to you, obey me and use them. Use them to leverage for my kingdom, because that is what I've called you to do. We're all working towards the same goal, but we're different members of the same body. We don't have all the same skill, but if you have a skill, then use it. That's what, that's what God says in Romans. So if your talent is writing, then write well and write abundantly, for your father is also an author. If your talent is organization, and if you are timely, 
then use your administrative skills and be content for God also brings order from chaos. And if you work with your hands, if you build, if you fix things, then do so proudly because God also has scars on his hands from the work that he has done. When, um, when I was a very young Christian, I don't, I don't even know if I was a Christian at this point, I went on a mission trip to the Midwest, and uh, we went on a trip to Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma in 2013 was struck by an EF5 tornado in Moore, Oklahoma. I studied meteorology in college a long time ago. And um, so we were out there in Oklahoma, and they had just got struck with, I mean, it looked like a war zone. I've never seen destruction like that in my life. And we were out there, and we were helping, and I got to meet a group of men through the Southern Baptist Convention. I didn't know who those people were. But the Southern Baptist Convention has a section of their uh, organization that is dedicated towards disaster relief. And they have a group of volunteers, men from all over the country, volunteer. And whenever there's a natural disaster, it could be an earthquake, it could be a tornado, it could be a hurricane, whatever. They go and they help that community. And a lot of these men, they, they take their vacation time to go and help. And uh, here's, advance the slide. Here's a group of men. You can see they're just rugged men that do manly things. And... Uh, I remember I walked up to the tent, and I signed up, and they said, here, fill out this form. They were really nice, but they're like, here, fill out this form. And I'm reading, it, and it was like this form. It's like, uh, basically, it was, uh, if something happens to you, it's not our fault. You're going to be given a chainsaw if you cut your hand off, not the Southern Baptist Convention's fault. If a tree falls on you and your head breaks, that's why you're signing the form. I was like, okay. So I was out there for hours and hours. We were cutting down trees and moving stuff, machineries going everywhere. And I got to talk to these guys. And like I said, a lot of them were on vacation. They're like, yeah, I take my vacation time. This is what we do. This is the way I can serve the church. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I met this guy named Raymond. And Raymond was from Kentucky. And he was a good old southern boy. He really was. And we were talking. And I was like, well, why do you do this stuff? And this is what he said to me, and I mean, paraphrasing. He said, I was never book smart like my sister was. My sister was book smart. She went off to college. He goes, and my, my older brother was a basketball star. I didn't have the athletic skill that my brother had. He goes, but I can sure drive this thing around pretty good. He operated a skid steer. That's what he did. He said, I sure drive this thing around pretty good, and I'm thankful that I have a way to provide for my family and that God can use me every once in a while to help people in need. It's like this guy takes vacation. He drives from Kentucky to Oklahoma to do the same thing that he does every day, which is drive a skid steer around and move stuff from here to there. But he looked at it and said, you know what, this, is, this might be a small talent to some. It's not really in comparison to my sister's talent or my brother's talent, but you know, God uses me to be generous because I drive a skid steer around. He's like, so that's what I do. And I'm able to help people. And it's like every guy that I talked to all had that similar story. You know, I cut down trees for a living, and there's a lot of trees here that need cut down. Here I am. Or I work on power lines all day, and when something happens, we take a caravan out to wherever it is. It's like incredible. 
And we learn from Raymond, but we also learn from the second servant from Matthew 25. The second servant did not look at the first servant and say, wait a second, he got more than double what you're giving me. He takes his two talents, he is thankful for his two talents, and he leverages it for his master. The second way that we fail to be obedient with our talent is probably a little bit more prevalent than the first, is that we know what our talent is. We just fail to use it in the way to glorify God. It's like, I know what my talent is, but my talent's my talent. We use our talents to pursue our own glory. The third servant, the one who was given one talent, decided he was going to use his talent that was given to him in the way that he wanted to. I was afraid, so I hid the talent. But there's a lot of uh, scholars that believe that the third servant actually did that on purpose because he thought, okay, my master is a hard man and maybe if I go and I take this talent and I bury it, he'll never come back. And if he never comes back, it'll be mine. So I bury the talent that was given to me in hopes that my master never returns so that I can use it for my own glory, not the glory of God. We get into Romans, uh, I'll just read it here. In Romans 3, it says, don't, um, don't think of yourself as higher than God. You're not higher than him. You can't, you don't have to hold him up. You're not holding him up and you can't let him down because you're not holding him up. Okay, he doesn't need you. If you go back to the end of, of Matthew, he gives those servants an abundance more he already had the abundance before he gave anything, anything to them in the first place. He doesn't need them to do anything. He has called them to do things. But a lot of us who are extremely talented, uh, we let our own glory, our own pride get in the way. The servant with five talents could have used some or all of it to lavish himself with, but instead he chose to be obedient to his master. He recognized the one truth that many of us ignore. And the one truth is, is that his talent was not his own. His talent was given to him by his master. You see, God is the owner and loner of everything. And that includes your talent. He is the owner and loner of all things. And the first servant understood that. These five talents were given to me because they are possessions of God. They have handed them over to me. He has given me the responsibility and the trust to leverage it. So that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. There are people in the world that are rich in talent. There are people in this room, there are people in this church that have incredible talent. I mean, there are people in this church that either are now or were Division I athletes, and that's not a laughing matter. I was an athlete in high school, and the difference between Division Three and Division I is just mind-boggling. But there are also people in this room or in this church that just have great, incredible minds. There's people in our church that are lawyers, they're doctors, they're working towards being doctors, and I've been able to have some great conversations with these people. Um, I remember uh, I had a very unique conversation with two men in the church, uh, Drew Martin. If you don't know Drew, he and his family has, have since moved to Indiana, but he was a doctor. Um, and then there's another, 
man in our church. His name is Stephen Chen, who is also uh, a doctor. And I, I talked to them, and I, I said, you know, we had this conversation. They're both very humble individuals. But we had this conversation, and I said, you, you have to understand how influential that you are just because of how people respect your profession. People look at doctors, and they're, they're peop- doctors know a great deal of information. They've been in school for 14 years or something weird, and they have to be trusted with the most critical information and how powerful it must be to leverage that and to use it for the will of God. It's like Stephen Chen is a brilliant individual. I mean, you don't go to Carnegie Mellon unless you are. You don't become a doctor unless you are. And we had talked about how he can humbly use his mind and use his profession to not only treat people, not only meet the felt needs of others, but along the way also meet their spiritual needs. Because when somebody with an incredible mind like Stephen or Drew open up and share their faith, people listen. It reminds me, I have a very good friend. He was actually a groomsman in my wedding. His name was Christopher Colbert. And Christopher is hands down the most brilliant person I've ever met. Smartest person I've ever met. Very humble, but incredibly brilliant. And uh, Christopher is a physicist. He went to the University of Alabama. He got a master's degree in physics. And um, I met him early on in my time in North Carolina. We were part of a small church. He had just got married. He was not a Christian. And um, through some Bible studies and just getting to know him over the years, he eventually became a Christian, got baptized. And he works at the U.S. Patent Office. Now, he's a physicist for the U.S. Patent Office, so when big tech companies go to, you know, try something new with their devices, their computers, their cell phones, it goes on Christopher's desk, and he says, yes, the math works, you can get a patent. Or he says, no, the math doesn't work, try again. But the U.S. Patent Office is divided in two. It's divided between the engineers and physicists, and it's divided to all the lawyers, because it's legal, legality of it. So Christopher's like, well, I'm going to go to law school. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to law school. Good for you. I said, where are you applying? He goes, I'm applying. That's a couple schools around the country. And I'm like, well, where do you want to go? He's like, I'd really like to go to Yale. And I kind of smiled, and he goes, I know what you're thinking. I said, Chris, it would be amazing if you went to Yale Law School. He goes, I know. I was like, but you will be a great minority on campus as a Christian, and they will not be nice to you. And he goes, I know. That's why I want to go. And he says something. He goes, I don't want to go to Yale so that I can boast in my glorification of my own self-accolades. The campus is filled with individuals that fit that mold. He says this. He goes, I want to go to Yale to glorify the one who sent me. I know that it's a giant's share of a task to reach the intellectual elite, but God has equipped me to do so, and I'm done ignoring him. (sighs) This is my friend Christopher. He did not get into Yale Law School. Um, He did go to law school. He graduated from Wake Forest. That's him with his beautiful son on graduation day. Uh, He didn't get into Yale because in part of the application process, he had to write a one-page essay on any topic that he wanted to. I said, Chris, what are you writing on? He goes, I'm writing on the relationship between science and rational faith. And I was like, you're not getting in. He goes, 
He goes, I know, I know. But somebody has to read this essay. And that somebody would not have come across this ideology in any other way. I was like, that's awesome. Chris did not go to law school at Yale, but he did go to Wake Forest Law School. He, is, he does have a law degree. It has not changed his daily uh, duties at the patent office, but what he's told me, he goes, there's a lot of people in our town that are struggling. There are a lot of people in our town that are going through terrible things and they need legal counsel. God cares about those people and he cares about their struggles. And if God can use me to meet the felt needs of others, then I consider that a blessing. And now Christopher uses his law degree to help those who can't afford legal counsel. Amazing. The humility of a servant of God. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. If you remember, our purpose is to love and to be loved. We can only do that because he first loved us. But the same goes for generosity. We can be generous because he was first generous to us. Uh, Dave Ramsey, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. He helped me get out of debt. But he has a... He has a saying that I really like. He says, live like nobody now so that you can give like nobody later. He says, live like nobody now so you can give like nobody later. That's the gospel if you just switch up the words a little bit. It's like Jesus gave everything then so that we can live now. And at Steel City, one of the things that we push is to learn and live the ways of Jesus. To learn and live the ways of Jesus. Jesus is generous. Very generous. He gave everything. He humbled himself until death to give us everything that we need. And what he has called us to do is to be obedient with the time that he has given us. With the treasure that he has given us. And with the talent that he has given us. But some of us are still just discouraged. We don't think that we have the talent that we need. I'm going to point you to uh, Job. There's a passage in Job 30, uh, I wrote it down, make sure I have it, 39. Um, I love it. It talks about the ostrich, and it says this. It says, the wings of an ostrich wave proudly, but are her wings and pinions like the storks? No. For she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. She forgot that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without concern because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. But when she lifts herself on high and runs, she puts to shame the horse and its rider. Because the ostrich was created to run. And when she runs, she puts to shame the horse and its rider. Sometimes it's just, it just takes encouragement. That's what it takes. Sometimes we just need to encourage others. Uh, Zach and Chris do a good job of talking about the I see in you statements. And sometimes it's just what we have to do is we just have to encourage one another by saying, you are talented. This is how. Do something. Like I think about my friend Nico in the back. Like the guy can calm a room when he walks in. He can talk to anybody about anything. If you don't like Nico, there's something wrong with you. And that's okay because he'll still like you. 
The guy can share the gospel, and he does it in such a way that it's just, I want to listen. He's not, he doesn't press, he doesn't, he's just the man. He's good at that. I think about like the Sheehan's, the Sheehan, like they have a new photography company. They came to us and said, you know what, we'd like to be generous, and we'd like to take pictures of you and Brittany while you're in your maternity phase. You can have. It's like, thank you. Like, that's what we mean by giving your talent and generosity. But we challenge you to do this. We challenge you to encourage your brothers and sisters to recognize their talents so they can fulfill their purpose. Then sit back and watch because it's a beautiful thing. Bow our heads and pray. We say, God, thank you for your generosity. We understand that you have given us everything, more than we could ever need or want. God, you have provided us in so many ways. We know that your love for us is, is just overflowing. And God, we just thank you for how you are generous to us, generous to our community, generous to our church, and generous to us as individuals. And God, I just pray that we can encourage one another to be obedient to you, to use our talents in a way that we can leverage and glorify you. And we just thank you for all that you do for us, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.